Welcome to a new episode of Riada, a Wilson Center podcast about entrepreneurship in the MENA region. I'm Marissa Khurma, your co-host and director of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center. And my co-host from Amman, Jordan, is Aymad Shawa of the Howdy Arabia podcast. Today, we take you to Egypt to chat with a young social entrepreneur who's co-founder and learning director of El Rehla, or The Journey, which hosts unconventional networking experiences outside of urban settings, bringing together founders, industry leaders, and corporate teams for a connective, reflective, and habit-changing retreat. It's focused on creating a more connected community of professionals. Dalia, it's a pleasure to host you on Riyada. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. So I guess our first question is always, what is your story? How did you come about um, basically conceiving El Rehla? Um, and you've been at it now for more than seven, eight years. So tell us your story. Yes. So um, we are like a group of co-founders here from uh, from Egypt. All of us are uh, local. And when we first uh, started off, before we even worked on the project, we were working on an entrepreneurship reality TV show called uh, El Mashroa. And it was a combination between uh, Shark's Tank and Dragons uh, and uh, The Apprentice. It was a combination between those uh, two formats. And our work inside this uh, Reality Show was trying to create communities around different governorates in Egypt where we get youth in Egypt to connect uh, locally uh, in each of their uh, different cities and figure out how can they use each other's social capital and you know make their ideas move from an idea stage into a real uh, life project. Mm-hmm. And so we were hosting three or four hour networking events because we noticed that the depth of those uh, networking events had its limits. And so my colleague, the other co-founder, she said that when people travel together for uh, three or four days, uh, the depth of the connections are much deeper. And so she said, let's yeah. take three or four hour networking events and extend it on to three or four uh, days. And that's kind of where the story started off, where we branched out of the, the, the our previous job that we were uh, working in. And she kind of, you know, spearheaded this uh, this idea, like bringing together different founders from different uh, backgrounds, bring them for three to four day networking uh, experience, um, and 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 the format evolved eventually from just a simple networking technique into a full program where there's mind, body, and soul, all uh, of these different areas uh, uh, as a core part of the program. And so, people that attend this experience get to know each other on those three different levels. And so it creates a very different type of bond after we uh, come back from the experience and, and kind of the the network uh, depth that is built after the experience. And 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 that sounds great. I I mean, very, very inviting. Um, so I want to ask you, I guess, a little bit uh, about the, the origin of the whole idea. I mean, it seems that you jumped right into... Um, trying to solve a problem in in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. So what is it that that you were trying to do originally? So the connection and the networking is, I guess, at the core of that. But why why do you think you were drawn to that? We felt that a lot of the... uh... Um, those that get opportunities in the ecosystem are very well connected. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they, you know, might have access to specific 
uh, university resources or um, to family resources that they can, you know, there can be very strong support systems for them. And so we've also noticed that when we go to different conferences in Egypt, uh, the networking that, uh, that happens does have its limits. And so if you're an introvert and you're not very comfortable just jumping into a conversation with someone in that uh, conference, mm -hmm. the number of connections you, you know, take out of that experience is quite limited. And so we wanted to help youth across uh, Egypt that have those new ideas to, to increase and, and deepen their social capital. Because just like, you know, some people have access to financial capital, social capital can also take you to uh, a depth of, uh, of, yes. of growth in your own projects. And so we wanted to widen, you know, our community's social capital. Uh, and so that's kind of where we felt that when we take them on those trips, uh, the connections are much deeper. And so when they come back, they just raise the their you know the phone on someone that they met at the retreat and they ask for support and they get that support uh, in return and so that was kind of the mm -hmm. you know like trying to decentralize all of the specific resources that you know where people have access to vc funding or other forms of uh, competition prizes and things like that trying to you know bring uh, at least the social capital side of things uh, to more people and, and and then we consistently try to measure the impact of that across uh, the years and where our model has its, uh, you know, like potential and where our model has its limits and things like that. And so, but it was essentially the limited uh, exposure that you can get connected to in conferences and the limited social capital that exists in the current ecosystem and how can we widen that uh, social capital. Yeah, and with the, with more social capital, capital, there's also access to more um, financial resources. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hi, Matt. Over to you. Oh, that's amazing. I'm, I was looking over. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it sounds very inviting. I mean, uh, the retreats are uh, they look really amazing. Well done. Uh, I was wondering if you guys relied on marketing the, uh, the events to, to corporates and institutions uh, more, or do you do you have an open uh, application where for for like people to join in from 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 unrelated parts of the, the ecosystem? Um, what's what's uh, what's been more prevalent, and are, are they are they are these both uh, things that work? What do you, um, yeah? What do you think about that? Yeah, so we've had um, you know like our model has evolved across the years. And so when we first started off, it was for uh, founders, anyone that's interested in kind of increasing their their network, uh, uh, they would apply and they would uh, get selected and they attend the experience. And with time, actually, it's it's kind of evolved. And so we've started to cater our experiences to different uh, groups. So one of the groups is incubators and accelerators. And so they would ask us to host uh, a journey for their uh, new cohort right at the start and kickoff of their uh, cohort. And so we've been doing that consistently for um, over like five different incubators, but two of them specifically have been uh, asking us to come back uh, regularly. Um, and then we also evolved to do a specific retreat for industries. And so we take, let's say, the fintech industry. And we worked with uh, creating experience for founders in the fintech industry, as well as VCs, uh, uh, the central bank, um, uh, other government regulators. And so trying to bring in all the different stakeholders in that specific uh, industry so that they could understand what roles everyone is playing and also talk uh, to each other and see if 
certain policies can be uh, changed to be more um, uh, founder friendly. Uh, um, and so we've had experiences, uh, multiple experiences across uh, over five different industries that uh, were, were the main objective there is trying to bring in all those stakeholders and seeing how they can collaborate and exchange knowledge so that we see some progression from uh, year uh, uh, from one year to another on the, the the cohesion and harmony that exists in that uh, ecosystem and potentially the growth in the long term uh, so we've also included the industries and to your question yes we do work specifically with the, the private sector or corporates but they ask us to come in in the space of um, uh, building a, a team building experience and so they loved our model of the mind body soul as a way to connect you know humans on a much deeper level and so they they felt that that was more um uh that was closer to what they needed than regular team building uh, games uh, and so they asked us also here to come in uh with our model and and take their teams on this type of uh, journey uh where they get by the end of it to, to get to know each other on a much deeper uh level so we've had those different, uh, you know, uh, groups, founders, uh, corporates, incubators and accelerators uh, and uh, industries. So those are kind of like the mix, but definitely corporates are a big, uh, important group that we also work with. Mm -hmm. yeah, amazing. Um, I was also wondering if uh, you found this to be a successful uh, avenue for, uh, for people that are not in... Uh, the tech space or the accelerator startup uh, landscape, the people that are in traditional sectors, let's say restaurateurs or, or traditional businesses, uh, do you feel like that those kinds of old school sectors are, are also there? There's room for them to also experience this type of uh, experience. Yes, for sure. Like we have, um, uh, for example, we we've worked with um, NGOs uh, or you know like founders of traditional businesses. They've attended our education retreats, our um, migrants and refugees uh, retreats, um, and so we've we've had like the, the specifically the industry based retreats. They cater to anyone that works in the in that specific sector and but but not just anyone it's more of like the key stakeholders and those could be traditional businesses they can be uh ngos they can be governments they can be uh, you know startups of uh, scale-ups you know founders of scale-up uh, uh, organizations and so there is that mix but maybe more so you can see them in our industry retreats than the um other retreats we also have like you know traditional businesses that definitely attend our founders retreats uh, uh and so um we do you know also allow them it's not like it's uh, fixed or closed to a specific type no so they also do attend our, our, our normal founders retreats and the value that they get is just the wealth of peer-to-peer -peer exchange and so they kind of have whether you're uh, a scale-up or just an early stage uh founder like they, they the wealth of peer-to-peer -peer exchange that these are insights from the ground not from theoretical uh resources or from resources that maybe like uh, learning that exists in another market, but maybe it's not very relevant to the local market. They also get a lot of insights uh, from those peer-to-peer exchanges. Okay, great. Really, really interesting. And it just got me thinking, um, because you've worked with so many different industries and at all levels, you know, private sector, non-governmental, etc. I'm wondering um, now, you know, eight years in, how are you measuring your progress? Like what are... What, what do your KPIs look like, for example? 
Okay, so uh, we have, you know, because, uh, you know, half of the founders were very business focused, half of the founders were very uh, impact uh, focused. So we do have across, uh, you know, the organization, we do focus on both levels, both the impact and on the business side. And so, um, you know, like the KPIs traditionally on the business side is the, the revenue, the net profit margins that we're getting, the number of retreats we're able to do, the number of sectors we're able to, to you know, kind of be the first ones to uh, to enter. So, you know, the typical type of uh, KPIs on a business level, but um, what's exciting, what's helped us, helped us get ahead uh, is more looking at the impact uh, of these uh, experiences. And so we've been consistently investing in uh, outcome uh, measurement. Uh, so every three or four years, we'd have an independent organization come in and measure the outcomes on, on what happened to those alumni or how do the alumni of these uh, retreats feel about it um, some years down the road mm-hmm. and what kind of uh, changes have happened uh, for them and their organizations. And so we've been uh, consistently able to measure the number of collaborations that have happened between uh, you know stakeholders. It's over uh, 80% uh, uh, across our different industry retreats, we've seen over 80% collaborations uh, kick off. Um, and we've seen uh, impact not just on the business level, but also on, uh, you know, like, a, you know, personal level. And so when we come to do those outcome assessments, we measure it uh, on the personal level, we measure it on the business level, both on the level of their organization, but also on the level of the ecosystem uh, as a whole. And so we definitely have a long way to go. Like, I mean, like the reports also show areas where we need to uh, get more governments to attend for government representatives to attend, for example, because that can help multiply the um, impact. Uh, uh, but, uh, but definitely there has been, you know, like, and, and, and it's felt by all of those that attend, there is a value in creating that network uh, uh, between the stakeholders. And so that's where, um, you know, they, you know, like, that's how we've been able to consistently get more and more uh, uh, clients every year because of the, the value that they see in these experiences. And if I may follow up um, sure. before I turn it over to Ahmad, because you mentioned the government um, that you would, that you saw some sort of gap there. Um, so if we want to zoom into the role of the government in supporting and strengthening the ecosystem, um, how would you describe its role? Um, so what we've been seeing from the uh, retreats, um, you know, some, you know, like comments, but definitely it's not comprehensive, but they, a lot of the founders would like a direct channel to be able to, uh, talk with some of the decision makers. Uh, uh, so this is when it comes to changing, for example, if we take the fintech industry, they would like the direct channel to, to talk about specific policies, if they could be uh, modified or added or, you know, like, uh, you know, on a policy level, they, they, they have a lot to say uh, uh, and, and, and requests that would really make uh, specific, you know, startup uh, ecosystems grow uh, in that direction. Um, and so on the policy level, uh, that's something they can also, you know, like the um, uh, some of the others on maybe more on the traditional business side, the the, the, the taxes uh, uh, that have to be, you know, paid out uh, uh, regularly does create some form of, um, you know, limitations in terms of just how, you uh, um, you know, in terms of resource planning, it, it limits how far they can go or add uh, staff or, uh, you know, like how much at the end of the year they have to in- reinvest into the into the business. And so also we've been hearing 
things more so related to the the level of taxes and if you know yeah. if things can be done with, with with regards to that. So usually conversations on those um, uh, two levels on our side as a Rehla, we always we would love them actually to come and attend. We've had several times where we've invited them, but given you know like um, some members would need specific approvals to be able to attend. But but if they're able to actually come and hear firsthand from some of the key stakeholders in the industries, it uh, it does go a long way for those that do come representing the government in terms of them then connecting what's happening on a grassroots level to what's happening on. Uh, national level and so that's definitely uh you know like them also being uh able to freely attend those uh, these experiences and kind of just spend three days you know with it with kind of like a micro representation of the whole ecosystem um that would also go a long way so so also their attendance in some of these critical events whether ours or other critical events in the in the ecosystem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it makes a lot of sense well well said over to you Ahmad. Um, how have you found uh, like e- Egypt's uh, natural beauty and the vastness of uh, Egypt's uh, amazing locations, like the resorts, the Red Sea coast, the Nile? There's so many, so much wealth in uh, in uh, nature and space. How have you found that to help you uh, conduct retreats? And have you considered, or maybe you have already done? Uh, retreats outside Egypt and how's, how's your foreign, uh, yeah. base been? So, uh, right now we've been mainly focusing, uh, on a, on a local level because we're, you know, like we want to get the, the model, uh, to its best form before, you know, representing outside. Actually this year was the first year we did something outside uh, of Egypt and Tunisia, uh, with one of our partners. And so it is in the pipeline in, uh, uh, in 2023 that we would like to you know start to explore doing things outside of uh outside of egypt but you know this past period it's um we really do believe in trying to get uh as many elements of the experience um you know in its best form before going and and you know delivering things to to other markets and and, and since year one actually we've been hearing great feedback so it's not you know like we, we don't have issues with the model as much as there are the tiny details that uh, on uh, in behind the scenes that we need to get you know at its best shape uh, not so just the, the experience but the tiny details behind the, the scenes related to staff and their capacities and things of that sort um, and so definitely it's in the pipeline for 2023 but um, when we come to you know you know reflect on the experience of the beautiful uh, locations in in Egypt it's definitely a core part and and it's actually you know written in in our outcomes assessment how far uh, these locations actually help in creating a much more um, grounded experience and so the just a level of uh, honesty that people uh, kind of you know slip into when they're in a beautiful setting is a very uh, different kind of space than if you're in a you know closed up conference uh, room in Cairo and so the whole point of us kind of, you know getting out of uh, uh, Cairo is that we would you know find a location with a space that isn't blocked by four uh, walls sometimes in summer we, we don't have the luxury of that we would need to you know use indoor uh, conference uh, uh, spaces but we try to make it as uh, you know retreat uh, friendly as possible but but definitely the locations are a critical part of our uh, formula uh, and so we try to make sure that we do have that uh, element in the mix whenever we can and and um, so what are some of the challenges that you face as um, 
basically, you know, a, a social enterprise? And and what are some of the challenges that you've heard others talk about in your retreats in the entrepreneurship ecosystem? Uh, so, you know, personally, uh, in, the, in the very beginning, um, you realize just how much uh, it is a challenge as a female um, uh, founder to be taken seriously or seen as someone that would eventually, like it was a regular question, are you doing anything next to the project? Uh, is this just like a, you know, part-time thing? Uh, when are you going to finish that project and kind of slip into like, uh, uh, you know, another role, for example, they'd want to had uh, help me into their organization, for example. So I wasn't being um, on a personal level first. Uh, I wasn't being taken seriously. And that's kind of, um, you know, oh. something you hear from other female founders that you, you're not taken Listen. as someone that will be able to take it all the way to, uh, you know, a scale up or anything of that sort. Um so that's definitely one uh, big uh, thing that's, that does have its uh, impact. And, and you you can see it even in our scale-up retreats because we have retreats for founders dedicated just for scale-up um, uh, founders on that level. And so the number of women, it's usually like 90% uh, male and like maybe 10% uh, female it's like, or even less. So like uh, it is it is a challenge. It's not inviting for uh, for. For females, a lot of the incubators and accelerators are trying to offer support. So I'm not saying that the, the ecosystem enablers are, you know, like, um, you know, there's anything that's happening from their side. In fact, that they're actually supporting more and more women. But those that are actually able to make it from one stage to another is so low. So it's it's um, it's sad to kind of uh, see lack of representation on on, on in that space. Um, so that's, the, you know, on, on that level. Um, when it comes to like other uh, issues, definitely uh, access to, uh, you know, like a lot of the community always are looking for business developers uh, or they're looking for marketing experts or they're looking for app developers. That's kind of like the main kind of theme. Uh, access to talents uh, is, you know, disregarding like the the, the, the problem with uh, finances because it's very limited and goes to a very limited number of people but usually they they're they're looking for very competent business developers that are able to help you know potential clients see the value of the service or product that they're offering and kind of help uh, win them more clients and so that's a specific uh, the number of you know competent people in those spaces are, are, are very few or they overcharge. And so you yeah. eventually find people not able to, uh, if they didn't have the uh, strong network with uh, organizations that uh, are potentially going to be their clients, you know, like they wouldn't be able to survive uh, making those first sales to kind of, or build the track record long enough uh, so that they could survive and, and continue far beyond those initial uh, years or stages. And so when we come to look at our alumni and, you know, the number of organizations that have opened and closed, uh, you find people across the years, you know, who have, have shut down their uh, services or, or products. And so, and, and, and kind of the current pain right now that we're, we're seeing is the number of people that would like competent people to be able to sell their idea, whether we're talking here marketing or business development that can help them get uh, relevant leads to, to close to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that's definitely been a big pain. Yeah, I'm, a, a lot of what you just said, Dalia, uh, rings a bell with other entrepreneurs that we've also interviewed on this podcast. So um, across the yeah. MENA region, um, sadly. Um, I'm Ad, over to you. Yeah. 
Um, Dalia, have you guys done women-only retreats in the past? Is that part of your philosophy? Uh, so when we come to uh, uh, work with different groups, we're usually doing it with a specific partner. And so uh, we haven't yet found the partner that would like to support just women uh, founders because our model is B2B. Not uh, We only have like one camp that is B2C, uh, one camp type that's B2C. And so... So far, you know, like the focus has been we would like to do a retreat for uh, educators or the employment ecosystem or the fintech ecosystem. So we are still uh, trying to advocate for a women's only uh, retreat. And so hopefully in, you know, the coming uh, months, we, we get to propose one of those retreats because it is um, my personal ambition as well as the other co-founders because we're uh, the, the full director's team is actually uh, all of us are women. And so we are hoping to do uh, a retreat just for uh, uh, women. And, and, you know, so these um, organizations that cover the cost, they cover like uh, 80 to 90% of the cost because otherwise the, the ticket would be quite costly for uh, one person. So we usually try to cover it through, through a, a corporation or an NGO. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's a, uh, a retreat startup that uh, in Jordan started last year and they've... Uh, they started with just a few events inside Jordan, and then they, uh, within a year, they're they're now doing Turkey, Zanzibar. They're going to do Thailand next. They've done maybe ten retreats so far, uh, pretty successful. But it's but it's mainly it's non corporate. It's literally just health and meditation and and wellness. Um, yeah. Is that something that's all that's that's common uh, in Egypt? This type of work, and if not, would you be interested in? maybe cross, um, like partnering up with these types of retreats to penetrate other markets uh, in the in the MENA region? Of course, like the whole idea of Rahla actually started with, um, you know, like we were, uh, part of the story that I missed out in the beginning is that we were initially a collaboration between uh, my colleague who came up with the idea and another organization uh, that was also thinking about the same idea. And so uh, we advocate for partnerships. Everything that happens in the retreats is a result of, you know, not just the contribution of one person's idea, but like every single alumni that comes and adds something in terms of the feedback, they add a huge and important dimension. So definitely we're, we're advocates for any forms of, uh, of partnerships because that's everything we advocate for. We advocate creating collaborative communities. And so that's what we stand for. So definitely, um, uh, yes, uh, in terms of, you know, like the, the content, uh, maybe if I can step into that a bit, it's a mix between uh, the mental, physical, and emotional uh, um, uh, set of tools that allows people to know each other on a deeper level. And so anything related to, um, uh, for example, uh, yoga or meditation, um, it is a part of the program, but it might be taking, for example, just 10%. Uh, the other, you know, uh, parts are like 30% uh, uh, introspection and reflection, and then uh, 30 percent uh, business uh, dialogues and, and, and conversations about business through like specific tools that we use and then the last um, 20 percent or so is uh, for uh, physical activities in terms of like um, kayaking or uh, diving or um, you know games that involve a lot of movement to get people uh, moving uh, sometimes also like that component involves like arts and so we do like art related or, or game related uh, activities at night uh, after dinner and so uh, so whatever the 
partnerships that we do, they would come, you know, like we would combine those together, but just to, to kind of, uh, you know, mention that it isn't, um, you know, cause some, when people think retreat, they think it's like where we just really kind of disconnect from the noise and relax or meditate and, uh, but it's just, yeah, to kind of, um, you know, it's right that it is a retreat in the sense that we do get out of car and we do do some things that are involve uh, relaxation. But the majority of the experience is, um, you know, more networking based uh, in a relaxed and grounded setting. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Wow, Dalia, those, those activities you mentioned uh, <laughs> really makes me wish there was summer camp for adults. <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah, summer, a lot right. they, they exist in the, in the states. At least a lot of them uh, exist in the states. Uh, but yeah, yeah in, in Egypt there wasn't that uh, going on, and so it's it's really been you know you know refreshing for people here at least to have that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, as you began telling us about your story and and explaining the why. Um, community is at the heart of this. Um, networking is at the heart of this. And that's what we're hearing from so many entrepreneurs. Um, so a, a wrap-up question for you, Dalia. Uh, since this month is all focused on youth, um, International Youth Day was just uh, commemorated on August 12th. So what do you tell young people in Egypt and other parts of the MENA region who want to... Um, you know, give it a shot um, in the entrepreneurship world. What advice do you have based on the on the lessons that you've learned? Um, so I think for me and based on kind of the youth, for example, that come in and intern with us and so kind of seeing where their headspace is at right now, um, I feel something that, you know, would have helped us out a lot actually as a, as a you know, eight-year, like nine-year startup and like uh, um, something that really would have gone a long way is had we, built our network within the uh, uh, specific target audiences that we're now trying to to reach that might have helped us uh, a lot in understanding their their core uh, problems as well as when we come to pitch, we have something more relevant. So I see a lot of uh, youth, for example, jump into uh, wanting to be um, CEOs and like founders of startups, but I, I would, you know, invite them to actually, even within, if, if you know, like uh, university from, from, the start of it to try to get into different student organizations to kind of build their character and build, mm. uh, you know, first on that level, because I do believe the student activities, you know, uh, the strong ones, we do build a lot that is needed in, 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 in the type of caliber that's needed after that as, as founders. And then in the early years before jumping into uh, starting up is, is really kind of getting their hands dirty in uh, the industries that they would love to be working in and kind of seeing the problems, seeing how uh, the mechanics and the, of that specific uh, idea that they have in mind, if they were to bring it into life, what would that look like as well as building the network uh, that would then help support them later on once they do have their startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is definitely um, a, a dimension that I feel that more founders need to step into because they, they do end up starting up and they don't have a network with the relevant stakeholders. Uh, and obviously like we still are, um, you know, running retreats, but we don't always have the relevant ones that they would like to connect to in our retreats. Yeah. And so that's why I, I definitely advocate that they work in that sector for a number of years. And, and we've, we have seen a trend that those that are scale-ups and are able to um, continue, they have they usually jump from the corporate sector into uh, starting their startup. And so like they've been in, um, in the field for 
number of years before kind of starting their own thing. And the, they're the ones that have access to uh, funding and like they're the ones that uh, are able to take it to, from just a, you know, early stage startup to a scale up. And so, you know, at least the trend in Egypt. And so for our market, I would definitely recommend work closely with founders, even if you're going to, you know, like uh, work in a, a startup in, in, in the specific industry you're interested in, but just get your hands dirty enough around people that are working on the problem. And so once you do have uh, or your gut feeling tells you it's, right, it's the right time to start, uh, you've already built both your network and uh, practical experience in the, in the industry. Uh, those would be the two things. Um, really good advice. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience and your story. And best of luck uh, for all the plans you have for 2023 and beyond. And we look forward to continuing the discussion on all things entrepreneurship um, in the MENA region. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you so much, Dan. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. <laughs>